Hi, I'm Alden Mills, former Navy SEAL, author of a couple of different books, Be Unstoppable and Unstoppable Teams. And you're listening to From the Heart with Ed Hart. My guest today, as you just heard, I'm, I've been excited to have this interview for quite some time. I think I, I stumbled across and found Alden on LinkedIn, like probably most of us with a lot of the connections that we have now. As he mentioned, former Navy SEAL, Navy SEAL commander. He's an author. We'll get into these books that he is, has authored and a great program he has on, on building teams and being unstoppable. I'm excited for you to, to hear what I call an American hero with what he's done with his life and is doing with his life. Um, you may have seen him on ABC's Nightline, on CBS This Morning. He's been on The Big Idea with Danny Deutsch, uh, other programs as well. He's done a TEDx talk. He's on YouTube. I could go on and on. He's an entrepreneur. He's had some tremendous success in, in starting and growing businesses uh, into the high millions. And so without further ado, Alden, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. How are you doing on this wonderful, what is it, a Friday, I guess, as we're recording this? How, how's your week? I'm fired up, Ed. I love what you do. And I think getting to the heart of the matter and talking from the heart is what people really want to hear and be a part of I appreciate that. Yeah, and that's really the goal of each of our podcast sessions is to, as I mentioned, as we were you know, prepping prior to today in our previous conversations, and then again this morning, we can Google or Wikipedia and, and learn all about people. And, and, you know, a resume is always, hey, here, here's my best foot forward type of thing. But really, until we have a conversation with someone, we really don't get to know them. So that's what this is. I like to think of this as just two buddies having a cup of coffee and a conversation and a few people hopefully eavesdropping on the conversation. So you've had an interesting so, okay, I drink some sparkling water during the you uh, conversation. You can do whatever you'd like. I've got my little Snoopy mug right here with my hot tea in it. So yeah, you well, I'll toast you. Right on. Lemonade there. I love it. So yeah. So I guess I'll just kind of, you know, you got to pick a place to start when you do these things. So let's just start early on. I, I read that you had asthma growing up. It's ironic to me that you've made a career. One of the things I didn't mention in the intro is Alden may not talk about this, so I will. He's a, uh, a was a nationally ranked rower, uh, Olympic uh, Olympic festival gold medalist. I mean, this this dude is a stud. Okay, if you're watching on YouTube, you see it already. If you're listening on the very various platforms, you'll you'll hear it in his voice. And and uh, like me, you'll probably be ready to run through a wall by the end of this conversation. So take us back. Where'd you grow up? Tell us about your childhood. How did the challenges of your childhood lead you to go into, into becoming a, a Navy SEAL and commander? Well, that's, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a broad brush. No, we're done. No more notes. Yeah. You know, uh, I grew up in the wicked awesome state of Massachusetts. Yeah. In uh, Central Mass. In, uh, literally grew up on uh, a small family farm. My grandfather was a large animal vet. My great-grandfather had started a family business out of his garage that my father was working at pretty much his whole life. Uh, every generation in my family had served the country in some way, shape, or form. And uh, just kind of jumping forward to the age of 12, I had been a really sickly kid. Uh, had pneumonia two or three times, bronchitis about a dozen times, and eventually got so bedridden at one point, I ended up 
getting sent to the emergency room because uh, they thought I had spinal meningitis and they gave me the spinal tap, which was a really uncomfortable thing as a 12 year old. And so my mom took me to the big city of Wista, Massachusetts, which is not a big city, but it's spelled very differently than you would think. Yeah. Worcester. <laughs> I was born though, you know, and, uh, uh, and I met my first pulmonologist there. A doctor of studying of the lungs and long story short this was a doc that was trying to keep me safe had me blown all kinds of devices and I can still remember him saying okay I see what the problem is here Mrs. Mills uh, you see this chat right here he's got a smaller than normal size lungs okay he was born with smaller lungs uh, you see this chat right here this means he has reactive airway disease. You know what that's called? It's called asthma. You know, let me give you some advice here. We're going to get him medicine, but he needs to lead a less active lifestyle. <laughs> I suggest the game of chess. Wow. And, and I, I just bring that point up because that was a really pivotal moment in my young life because I was already at that moment of, oh, Chess? Yeah. How am I going to learn how to play chess? I'm terrible at checkers, right? <laughs> yeah, it was look. my mom that snapped me out of it with her long kind of French cuticle nails that she sharpened for moments like that, dug yeah. them into my forearm and said to me, now you listen to me. Nobody defines what you can or can't do, but you, you hear me? And, you know, I didn't, right? I just wanted the claws to release <laughs> the grip on the forearm. And, and that put me on a path and, you know, I didn't get it that day and I didn't get it that week, but I got it over time because both mom and dad were like, go try another sport. So what if you scored on your own team in basketball, go try, you know, hockey and uh, hockey didn't work out so good and nor did lacrosse and nor did soccer. Um, but then I found a sport that really worked for me and that was rowing. You know, sitting on my butt going backwards, I, I got into that. Boy, how do I sign up for that other than the whole no. part of it? Yeah. Suffering. But but I bring that piece up because that was the initial catalyst, the 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 little snowball that started adding momentum as it's rolling down the hill of hey, it's inside your head. Go try a sport if you want to do a sport. I found a sport. Sport took me to the Naval Academy got to the Naval Academy, did well at the Naval Academy in rowing, got recruited to try out for SEAL team, made SEAL team. SEAL team took me to entrepreneurialism. Entrepreneurialism took me on to what I'm doing today. And it was, you know, it, it wasn't a straight line. It was, but it was always following the heart yeah. of each of these things that I really wanted to do. Awesome. So not in my notes, but something I'm hearing as you talk Talk to us about the word challenges, because if I was 12 and told, well, you know, Ed, you got a small lung and you've got asthma. And I had, you know, asthma as a youth, but got through it when I was like nine, I think. I don't know. It wasn't a big deal. Mm -hmm. I was never told you can't play baseball or football or basketball or what have you and, and played a lot of those sports growing up. But that's a pretty big challenge for a 12 year old to hear, certainly for parents to hear. But um, the path you've chosen is not a common path. I, you're the first Navy SEAL I've ever spoken with, just as an example. 
So talk about challenges. How, how did that challenge at 12 and some of the challenges, what have you, how have they affected you and molded you and, and shaped you? Well, if you were to ask me about the challenge when I was 12, I'd give you a much different answer than how I look at challenges today. Sure. Afterwards, right? Um, and I think the better way is that how I view the challenge today, now being a father of four boys. Right. Uh, we've got four teenage boys. And there's how, a challenge for you right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my wife's an angel, but the way that I really view these challenges, and I've, I've written extensively about it, and I call it the advantage of adversity. And, and by the way, this is the same thing that happens when you go through SEAL Team. And we had this character who would talk to us right ahead of time. He'd be like, you just have to decide how much you're willing to pay. Mm. You know, are you going to focus on the pain of training or are you going to focus on the pleasure that training provides you? And, and that is a really important thing is that, you see, a challenge gives us friction. It provides friction. And when we have friction, well, then we've got traction to move forward. Now, a challenge can also act as a brick wall and stop us. And we have to decide if that is a brick wall or is that a wall made of clay bricks that we're going to break down and move forward. But there is no success that I've ever enjoyed that didn't first have an immense amount of friction in front of it or challenge. And when I'm talking to one of my boys at any given time about, oh, this sucks, I don't wanna do this, or this is too hard, or that, or this, I'm like, don't forget, that is the opportunity. That's the struggle builds the strength that will allow you to move forward, but you must embrace it. SEAL Team has this term called embrace the suck. Hmm. Um, that's you know, going in, it's going to suck. Embrace it and let's learn from it and grow through it. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you got to, right? That the challenger, uh, Buddha has often been quoted with this, and it's a favorite quotation of mine, uh, the obstacle is the path. Mm -hmm. right? The challenge is the way. And the joy is in the journey. challenging yourself, you're not growing. Yeah. So. I like that. Um, Adver the um, advantage of adversity. I jotted that down. You know, I'm going to steal that from you, or at least yeah. borrow it a few times. Yeah, and you can go to my website. I've written articles about the advantage of adversity. And just yeah. Uh, yeah, Google advantage of adversity article. I think it's on LinkedIn and things like that. Great. We'll talk later as we get into the you know towards the tail end today of how our listeners and viewers can reach you. But um, yeah, and Google Alden Mills. And, and I know it's easy to find you that way. Um, so, okay, so you're, you're 18, you've gone into the Naval Academy, you're rowing, you're sitting on your butt going backwards, to use your words. Long periods of time. For long periods of time. And my experience of rowing is what I've seen out on the river by MIT and Harvard and back mm -hmm. in that area where you, where you grew up. Been back there a little bit myself, got some family there. At what point, what, what triggers it you to become a Navy SEAL? I'm walking to class one day. I had just been elected the captain of the heavyweight crew at Navy. And 
<laughs> the resident seal at the academy who was a mustang right he'd been enlisted and then he became an officer and he had this big mustache and medals up over his shoulder you couldn't even see his navy seal insignia and he's like hey mills come here you ever think about trying out for shield team and i was like oh, i don't know I was, you know I, what do they do hmm. he's like uh you ever been bullied before and i'm thinking about it and i'm like yeah Actually, there was this one thing. I just asked if you've been bullied. I didn't say I wanted to hear. Don't need story. Yeah. He goes, well, that's what we do. We go around the world and we knock down bullies. You interested in that? If you are, we got tryouts. Nice. And you know, I kicked around the idea, but the uh, but before that conversation, it had been more of an idea of, uh, oh yeah, let's go see how tough you are. You know, it was that gut check. But then when I really looked at what SEAL Team offered me for having done eight years of rowing on the water in very tight, synchronized team fashion, it, it turned out to be the perfect next step for me. And then, you know, the last piece I was missing was that purpose piece, yeah. right? I had the passion and I was going to figure out the gifts and how I was going to get through it. But the purpose was... Yeah, I could go, I could get into knocking down some bullies around the world. Yeah, we know that there's a few of those out there on our current soil as well as in other areas of the world for sure. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the training? I know I've heard you talk before about, you know, how tough the training is just to get to day one of, of I don't know if it's called boot camp or what it is for the Navy SEAL, but I know I've heard you say that there's this process. The story that really sticks out to me is where you've got to like swim down and I'm going to steal your thunder for a moment. Um, there's all these swimming challenges, obviously the Navy SEAL, that goes without saying, but when you're doing it alone, how difficult it is and a high percentage of the men or the individuals who are training or trying out, if you will, don't make it, but then they give you a buddy. Can you, can you talk about that process of the training, the prep, and then the difference between doing those things alone and doing them with someone? I really like that thought. Yeah, I, I think there's kind of three components there. Okay. And I'll, I'll talk about kind of the three high level components that I, I think will capture the most valuable components for people listening of SEAL training. And the first one happened in our very first day before we actually even took the physical fitness test. You, you, when you get sent to SEAL team, you don't go right into SEAL training. They put you in the seven week holding cell. And here we are on the seventh week, ready to take the exact same fitness test we've taken four times before already. They're making you, it's a formality. They're just like, okay, you just got to pass it one more time. But first, we're going to have you listen to the first phase officer. SEAL training is broken into three very creative phases, first phase, second phase, and third phase. <laughs> it covers about 30 weeks. And, and this guy, and you heard me uh, mimic his voice, his deep Southern accent. Right. And I, I won't tell the whole story, but what he basically says is, I know for a fact, 80% of you ain't going to make it. You know why? Because y'all want to be a seal on a sunny day. Hmm. And, and that's the problem. You see, your country, she don't need seals on sunny days. She needs them on scary days. Well, wow. it's cold and it's dark and it's wet. You know, he goes on, right? And then he, and then he says, you know what my job is? It's to create a conversation 
between here and here. And he's pointing to his temple and to his heart. Yeah. A conversation that's going to drive you to make a decision to quit or graduate, right? I've, I've dramatically shortened that story, but sure. that's the number one first thing you have to learn to lead. You probably read up the story. Right? This conversation between what's going on inside your head and all the reasons why you can't or you shouldn't or it won't happen to you versus the heart that's whispering to you, get up, keep going, try again. And the folks that allow this voice, which I write about a lot in the second book, Unstoppable Teams, I call it the whiner. You have to learn to control that whiner. And once you start to learn to control that whiner, then you get far enough along in training because everyone else has kind of self-selected their way out. Then you get a swim buddy after hell week. And all of a sudden it goes from this 80% failure to a 90% success rate. And what happens along that path is part three. And part three is, so part one is dealing with the conversation. Part two is I got teamed up with somebody that's going to give me some extra strength when I'm down there up and vice versa. And then the two of you are going to discover some limiting beliefs. They are going to find a limiting belief and they are going to press you to a point of you figuring out, can I change it or am I going to obey it? And that really is the nutshell of SEAL training. So talk about breakthroughs, the word you didn't say, but the word I heard you not say in my vocabulary is mm -hmm. breakthroughs. So you have this, this, you know, I can't do it, I can't do it, 80% fail, suddenly I'm buddied up, I've, I've had a breakthrough, now 90% do. Can you talk about, none, go there if you want, but what I'm really interested in is how has that led you in your life now as a speaker, an author, an entrepreneur, a father, a businessman, breakthroughs. How are the breakthroughs that you had as a Navy SEAL in training and, and through some of your missions and so forth, and share what you can on that too as we go further along here today. How, are those, how has that taught you to see, push through the breakthrough and then maybe teach others about that? So the greatest breakthrough that you experience is that you're much more powerful than you realize. Yeah. It's, your, your body is way more uh, able to endure and suffer than you think it can. Then you want, then the body wants you to think it can. Sure. Right? Yeah. But when you are in a position where you have to make a decision of if I go that way, I quit, or if I go that way, I'm facing a lot more pain and I don't know if I can handle that pain and you surrender yourself to, well, I have such a greater fear of quitting than I do of moving forward. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move forward, even though I don't know what the outcome is. And that fear of staying put versus moving forward, that creates the catalyst of all kinds of breakthroughs. At the end of the day, what you end up getting is the confidence to realize it's not just me, Ed, it's you, it's your kids, it's, it's all of us that we're way more powerful than we realize. 
and that the limiting factor, the governor of, of what we can and can't do is breaking through these limited, faulty, outdated beliefs that are hanging around in our head that we all have. We all have them. Yeah. And that's the whole point of SEAL training. They're all looking to find those beliefs and then challenge you and then see how you're going to deal with it. Are you going to neutralize it? Or are you going to terminate and go, no, I can't. I'm sure you've internalized the phrase that we are our own worst enemy because we are, we are that obstacle. We're that brick wall you talked about earlier. So often in our, whatever the goals are we set, whatever the challenges are, the relationship and so forth. I don't know what you can and can't share. I'm going to operate under the assumption that there's a lot of stuff that happened in your Navy SEAL life that you can't talk about or don't want to talk about. Well, I would imagine because there are a lot of bullies out there and there's a lot of bullies you don't want to talk about. But when I say the word or I ask the question, Alden, what was your toughest day? What first comes to mind? Now you're a SEAL. You're in it. You're doing it. Can you, can you share a story or two about what you might or, you know, label as, yeah, that was my toughest day. And what did you learn from it? Uh, I'm on the side of a mountain in Bosnia. And we had spent weeks, well, not, yeah, it was a couple of weeks uh, trying to figure out how to use this first generation new camera called a digital SLR, right? And how to take a picture of a bad guy, put it, download it on a Toshiba protege laptop, connect that to a SATCOM radio, send this megapixel picture up into the sky, send it to the command post, have the command post say, yes, that's our guy, execute. Wow. Right? And we were, you know, this is not a, this is what Panasonic Toughbook didn't exist then. And we were cutting up our wetsuits and rubberizing things and trying to figure out how it all worked. And um, the digital SLR that we were given that I signed for, that was a $35,000 piece of equipment. I was making 33,000. Hmm. Yeah. More than what you make, yeah. I, I signed for this camera. Uh, it wouldn't keep up with these high-speed cars that were going by, even though we had positioned ourselves in a place that was a slower point for the cars. And we got a call after the first day and said, uh, mission's abort. The, it's not working. And I was like, what? <laughs> no, I, I flew in from Germany and we'd gotten all these things. And I mean, this was a long process to finally get there. And I was like, no, I can't accept that. And I'm sitting around with my team and I told them, it's a small team, there's four of us. And I was like, does anybody have any ideas? And one of them said, um, and I was coming up with crazy ideas with like lasers and how we're going to slow this car down. And, you know, maybe we should fell trees and all kinds of stuff. And, and one of them said, uh, sir, why don't we just dig a pothole? Got to slow down for that, right? No. Oh. And I convinced uh, higher credit quarters, and they're like, all right, we'll give you 24 hours. 24 hours led to 48, and 12 days later, hmm. we, we got the job done. Um, 
But that was one of these things where they didn't think we could get it done, but they had just enough belief in us because we had built a relationship with higher headquarters. Like, well, you know what? They're, they're kind of tenacious. Let's see what they can do. And we only came out with four days of food and had to figure out a resupply. Didn't have much water and all that, but that is an example. Now, the other things that I did were all um, mini submersible, classified combat mini submersibles. And from a tenacity perspective, that was a very long one, 12 days. From a pure, grueling, miserable 12 hour day, it's diving in those mini subs. Yeah. I've never been colder in my life. Hell week didn't have anything on that. I'd be so cold. I couldn't move my arms and legs. I'd have to pick me up and pull me out and put me into a hot shower. Um, I've vomited underwater. Hmm. Wow. Uh, those, that, those are another kind of gruel. So you had the mental one and right. you had the physical. And the physical yeah. And I'm guessing that the mental, I mean, I, I know for me and I've never even scratched the surface of anything that you've done in that regard, but I know for me, the, the mentally difficult days are more difficult than the physical ones. The physical one, you're in it and you look back at that. You know, like it's going to be over an hour. It's like, yeah. this one, you know, how long? Push through for three more miles. I can push through for another hour. Mentally, you just don't know. And how am I going to cope and get through this? I've had some, you know, we've all had, you know, friends pass or friends take their lives or friends go through horrible, horrible things. And that mental and emotional is so much more difficult, I think, than that physical so you talk about this team you had of four, you and, and you know, the team of four. Um, what was the transition like from I'm a Navy SEAL to now I'm a leader, I'm a commander? A, a lot of people listening today have recently taken over leadership of an organization or are being considered for leadership. Um, and some are obviously at the tail end of their leadership and we'll get there in a little while as well, but letting go of that role. Talk about that transition of, of when you knew or, or approached that, you know, hey, you're, you're going to be the guy making these decisions. Well, to get into that position to begin with, there's a lot of evaluation that goes on in SEAL team. And do you know the number one thing they evaluate you on? What's that? They want to know if you'll listen. Interesting. They literally evaluate you on here's a guy from the Naval Academy that has come out of four years at a, the, the most prestigious naval institution the United States has. And now he's thrust into an environment where he is the most junior in experience level, yet he has more rank than most of those that have the experience, which would be the officer versus the enlisted, right? And however, the enlisted will literally make the decision if, nah, we're not going to listen to him because he doesn't listen to us and we're not going to put him in a platoon commander position. And they can say, no, he's not fit for it. And so the single most important thing to anybody who's out there listening to this, that's aspiring to a leadership position, just taking over a leadership position or moving from one leadership to another is to understand that you are serving the whole role of a leader is to serve and take care of those that you are chartered to give that responsibility to. And the more that they feel cared for, the more they will dare for you. And caring for your people requires listening to them, get their ideas, get their contributions. You will never have all the right ideas. 
hopefully at the right moment when you might have to make a split second decision. Most things, thankfully, in the business world aren't split second. I'm talking like an ambush. Sure. Uh, somebody shooting at you, you immediately have to decide left or right. Even then you can screw that up. It's about giving people the confidence that you care enough about them to listen to their opinion. It's critical. And that's how you build trust. And then when you have trust, now you can go after getting some things done. Sure. Yeah, I like the phrase that I just read this again the other day and I've read it countless times that between stimulus and response, there's space. Now, if you're a Navy SEAL and you're being ambushed, the space is, is milliseconds. But for most of us, it is. There is that space between what we hear and how we respond. And I really like that. I've done a lot of assessments and I'm familiar with a lot of them. And one of the ones that really, I won't go into the assessment itself, but the, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the, the end result is that the most influential people in our lives are great listeners. And we influence more by listening than we do by talking. And it sounds like that's, a, that's spot on with what you're talking about in leadership, that how do we know, how does a doctor know how to diagnose if he or she isn't listening to the patient? You know, another way that I've heard it, and I really like this, is there's three ways to listen. You can listen to win. You can listen to fix. Or you can listen to learn. Hmm. As a leader, you got to start with listening to learn. To learn. Yeah. Every time you're listening is just to win the point of discussion or you're listening just to quickly shout out the answer to fix something. People after a while are like, I'm not even going to bother. I don't even yeah. listen to me. What did you love about being a SEAL? Oh. Hmm. Yeah, how much time do we word. have? That word. Love. Yeah. You want to talk about love. Yes, Navy SEALs love each other. When you go into harm's way, what people are thinking about isn't thinking about, gee, I, I, I can't wait to die for my country today. Mm -hmm. Nobody has a death sentence. Nobody's got some sure. death wish of, wow, yeah, I can't wait to come home and flag wrapped coffin. Yeah. No, that's not high on our pecking order list of things. However, if you've done the right work together and everybody's feel that really tight connection, they know you personally and professionally, they're willing to take that bullet for you. That's a very special camaraderie. And that camaraderie, I would say, is built on love. Yeah. A lot of us say, oh, I take a bullet for him or for her. You literally mean it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Absolutely. That's front of a plus. Tell me a little bit about the leadership lessons you learned as a commander and how you've applied that now in your professional life? Well, I'm a huge fan of small teams okay. and anything that gets too big. I like keeping it in a small team environment. So I'll, how would you define small? If you could put a number on it for um, below 20. Okay. 12 yeah. even right. Mm -hmm. Something in the 12 to 20 range at the most. And if they can go smaller, I've seen the power of what four people can do. If they're you, the you gave some examples people. of that, sure. Yeah. Yep. And, but to understand this is that there are these three levels of leadership. Number one, leading yourself, self-leadership. How you lead yourself 
directly reflects on how you lead others. Yeah. When you see how a team is being led, well, the team is just a reflection of you. I call that the mirror effect. And that's a really important thing. Leaders at some point, and I've seen this time again, and I've made this mistake. Well, I'm the CEO. They can wait on me. It's all right for me to be five minutes late to a meeting. Well, over time, people are like, well, time, timeliness isn't that important to him. So I don't need to be on. He doesn't respect us. Why should we respect him, right? Yeah, the attention to detail isn't there. Well, I don't need to worry about that. And all of a sudden, products start having defects and you start having those issues, right? You are an example. Yeah. And that mirror effect is really important. Number two, and it's exactly the same thing we do in SEAL Team. We had this uh, mission statement card that they would give everybody, and it was about being an American uh, fighting soldier and all these different things. And for a while, we were trying to memorize it. I'm like, yeah, it's not really flowing. And then we were sitting around a platoon hut, and one of my 60 gunners would be like, sir, I know what the mission statement is. I'm like, what is it? What is it, WebKey? And he'd go, I got your back. Hmm. And you know what? I've always thought of that. And I'm like, he's right. Yeah. It's, I got your back. And my job as a leader is to make sure everybody on my team or my company and my organization or my community action group that we've been involved in, they know that I've got their back. Because the moment they know that I've got their back and they can trust me, they're not looking in the rearview mirror anymore. Yeah. They're looking forward. And when they're looking forward, well, that's where the magic happens, hmm. right? The creativity, the, the daring, the boldness to try something new. But if you're always worried with one eye, at least worried about your back, you're not fully committed. Yeah. It's funny. It's the second time this week that that's come up. That exact topic has come up. Um, not to take this into too much of a biblical thing, but in Ephesians in the New Testament, it talks about putting the armor of God on. And I was in a meeting the other night in our Bible study, and a gentleman in our group said what he loves about the armor of God story, or just putting on your armor, whether it's military armor or what have you, is that God's got our back. And so, you know, same type of thing. It's you're, you're focused on what's in front of you. And a good friend of mine, Jeb Wallenbrock, who uh, runs a winery up in Napa, talks about the difference between the rear view mirror and the windshield. Yeah, that rear view mirror is nice and it's helped and it does keep us safe, but we can't drive a car looking at the mirror. We have to look through that windshield. So it sounds like that's, I love that. I love what he said to you. Yeah. Of, you know, I, I get it. The mission is, I got your back. I got your back. There's the mission statement, sir. And I, I've used that for years, ever yeah. since. Like, everybody, well, anybody know the uh, mission statement is SEAL team? And they're like, oh yeah, it's this, this, this. And I'm like, no, no, it's I got your back. Tell your kids By the that. way, it's it's not just I got each other's back in the platoon. When we have each other's back in the platoon, well, guess what? We got our country's back. Yeah. Forward deployed. Yeah. And then you want to make sure the country has our back, right? We're we're yeah. counting on it. Well, and we and knowing that we're safer when we go to bed at night because there's guys and gals like you out there who've got my back. I can focus forward because I know that you got me. So, and we appreciate it. And if I haven't said thank you yet. I'm saying it now and I'll say it again. And I know that, um, you know, nothing brings a tear to my eye more than that military uniform and seeing people who are, are out there putting their life on the line for me because they've got my back. So I definitely appreciate that. Tell me about early mentors or leaders. You talked about your mom and dad a little bit, their role on you or any other 
personal or, or, or military or famous leaders or mentors that have had a, a huge influence on you? Oh, I've had a, a lot of them. Yeah. I've been very lucky that I had a couple personal and then, you know, folks that I, I read about. Um, two that come to mind from high school. One was a gentleman named William H. Armstrong. He wrote The Bridge Over Troubled Waters and Sounder, wrote about 33 books. And he has these two quotations that he had on his, uh, behind his desk up on the wall. And he told us about the quotations the first day, the next day. And, you know, at this point, he's like 80 years old. And he's like, for a hundred points. <laughs> and the quotations are now turned backwards. If you can write down exactly what those quotations are, I'll give you a hundred points, you know, and we all missed it. Yeah. But I never forgot those quotations. And I have always held them close to my heart. I put them in my first book and they are before the gates of excellence, the high gods have placed sweat. And the second one is if a man does only what is required, he is a slave. Hmm. The moment he does more, he is a free man. Now, these are before the birth of Christ old, right? So they were using man versus as a general term. So I, I change it to a person. But, sure. you know, the point is clear. Yep. Until you start giving more, that's all you have, right? And then the other one is my crew coach and Hart Perry. And, um, and then I had the crew coach at the Naval Academy. And then I had two different SEAL commanding officers and and then i would read a fair amount um you know stephen covey yeah what a great yep. message he has i have a mentor now jd messenger who's a distinguished graduate of the naval academy he's 10 years my senior um awesome messages right you talked about your Bible study. And I don't think there's enough conversation going on about faith. Yeah, and, you know, A lot of people today will go, Oh, faith, he's a Bible thumper, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, 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 no. You tell me something that you can give a hundred percent confidence in other than yourself, something that's higher than you right. forget about what denomination you are exactly muslim jewish buddha whatever but faith means that's the number one definition in the dictionary faith means having a hundred percent confidence in something that is greater than yourself yeah and, and that is really important yeah. element of anybody who's trying to do something of value out there. When you're trying to create impact, that means you're trying to be bold. And when you're trying to be bold, that means you're going in the unknown. And that's really scary out there, right? And that brings me back to the earlier conversation that I told you that was one of the most important things you learned in SEAL Team was, how are you gonna lead the conversation between here and here? Yeah, the head to the heart, yep. The head to the heart, and yep. and the heart, will attach with faith. The mind will go, oh, you don't need that. You can do this, but don't go do these other things, right? Yeah. When you're walking into the valley of the shadow of death, hmm. you better have faith. Yeah. 
Because if you think you're just the old superhero all by yourself, I do not want to go into battle with you. You should be scared, but you're not going to be scared enough to hold yourself back because you have the face, faith to face your fears and move forward. Well, and logic has limitations. Logic is that brick wall that you've talked about, whereas the passion comes from the heart and that passion is what gets you through that wall. It gets you doing that deep dive on the stormy day. Like you said, everybody wants to be a seal on a sunny Sunday afternoon, yep. but what about a, a crappy snowy below zero Monday morning when then you got to really do the work that your logic says, I can't do it. But your heart says, well, I'm not doing it because it's logical. I'm doing it because I'm protecting my country. I got my guys back. They got my back. We got a mission to accomplish. And that doesn't come up in the head that comes from the heart. So I appreciate you sharing that. And I can see that, really transitioning really, really well to our audience of, of leaders who are, they're all leading for different reasons and they're all leading different organizations, different ways. But ultimately why I love my last name and I love the name of this podcast and what I do is I try to do most things from my heart. You know, doesn't mean I don't let logic dictate because you have to, you know, logic says don't touch the stove because it's hot. But that passion of why we do ultimately is what drives us and makes changes and makes a difference. How has that though, how have those lessons that you've learned and we, you got me ready to just stand up and run through a wall. As I mentioned 37 minutes ago, you have at least two books. One that I know of the first one, be unstoppable, the eight essential actions to succeed at anything, which has led you also into your unstoppable teams and what you're doing with your workbooks in this session and the, this, this um, seminar that you're leading. Talk about the book, the work you're doing and how, you know, I don't need to even ask how has your Navy SEAL training led you to this? Cause that's just goes without saying at this point. But talk about that for us. Yeah, well, I, the greatest joy that I get is serving others. And I would believe that anybody, unless they're a complete narcissist or a sociopath or psychopath, which you're talking about, that's a very small component, right? Sure. You know, and you hear this term, ah, oh, it's greater to give than to receive. That's anybody that's going to be a leader is in the business of serving others. And so when you're in that business of serving others, you're about creating an impact. What gets me really excited that gets me laying awake at night and why I've been working on this unstoppable mindset course for six months. And it's finally going to launch here soon is I love helping others believe in themselves, helping them go beyond what they originally thought was possible. If I can just help one person from this podcast that says, you know what? I was an asthmatic and I always thought I had to learn the game of chess, but mm. I'm not going to do that anymore. Hallelujah. Yeah. Right. Now we just changed a life because they just realized, Oh, I can do something more. I can go give more. The more you give of yourself as a leader and the more you serve to others, guess what they do. Yeah. They serve you back. Exactly. But it becomes a multiplying effect because it's you, Mr. Leader or Mrs. Leader, one to many, now the many come back to you. Yep. And that's the boomerang effect. And, but the rub is it's everybody has, remember I'm tying this back to what we just talked about. We all have limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. Some neuroscientists that say 
today say, well, um, some of them we might be born with. Okay. Most of the limiting beliefs come about through going to school, getting bullied, telling us we were terrible at something, some terrible coach saying, you suck at doing X, Y, or Z sport, get off my field, right? And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I guess I suck. <laughs> and all of a sudden that becomes a brick wall. That's just like, well, this is as far as I can go. We have that. We all have that. And now we got to spend the rest of our life deciding, are we going to leave that as like, well, that's my anchor. I just, I can't leave the safe harbor and go and try anything else because I've been told for so long, I suck at something. I can't. That's the person I want to talk to. That's the person I want to go. You don't. You're just telling yourself that narrative. And let me show you some steps on how you can conquer that because we can all do it. We are way more powerful than any of us imagine. And when a kid comes along, like me, who is very ordinary, I was very fortunate to have two parents that just kept saying, keep trying, keep trying. You know, so I, I appreciate a lot of people didn't have those kind of coaches or those kinds of people. And I want to be that person for those people. Do you play chess? It's a great boy because I get notes back. You know, I, I got this note from this kid, 14 years old. Dear Mr. Perfect Push-Up Man. Hmm. Thank you for inventing the perfect push-up. My grandmother bought it for me at Walmart, and I followed your workout routine four times. That's three weeks for routine. That's 12 weeks. And I made the JV football team. Awesome. Next year, I'm trying out varsity. Johnny, number 25. Mm. That became the mission statement for the company. Right. We weren't in the fitness products division. We were in the we're making help we're helping people's dreams come true. Yeah. It's that bigger picture. Yeah. We get too locked locked into the, the minutiae and the detail and you know, the um Gary Ridge WD forty. We're in the business WD forty, canned oil that you use to, you know, you know what it's used for. We're in the memory business. We help people make memories. And he tells a great story about that that I won't tell here. I had him on the podcast earlier this year, and he tells it great. Ben, I've heard him tell it in a lot of different settings. So let me uh, let me add yeah. something on it. Yeah, you bet. Uh, on Perfect Fitness, company I started in 2006, yeah. still going today. We created the Perfect Promise. And by the way, he grew that from zero to 90 million in three years, ladies and gentlemen. That's not something that you, very many people do. Less than four one hundredths of a percent of companies in, in America surpassed 10 million ever. And he did it. He did 90 in three years. Anyway, continue. Yeah, um, I'll so brag about you all day long, just so you know. I, I don't talk about that, but you can do that. Uh, right. My job. You know, we created this thing called the perfect promise. And our promise to you is, Hey, if you can, we can, we want to help you take control of your body. So you take control of your life and get after the things you really want to get after. Now I've started a pet food company with a former partner of Perfect Fitness, and it's a dog treat. I love my dogs. Mm -hmm. He loves his dogs. We've got two other partners, and they love their dogs. And the whole theme of this is it's not just a treat company. You see this treat? This treat helps fight off depression for people who have just their pet by themselves. This treat is a sustainable. It helps farmers do their thing. It becomes a vehicle of change. It's not just the treat that we're selling, it's the mission behind it. And 
Gary's the exact same way, right? The, the yeah. companies that end up making the dent in the universe are doing it not because they're trying to make a dent in their bank account. They're doing it because they want to make a service to others. Right. And when that happens, you don't have to worry about your bank account. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the, 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 the products and the companies that are making the biggest impact are the products and companies that were created to facilitate and make things more simple or make things easier. Not, Hey, I've got this laptop. It's the greatest laptop. No, this is a vehicle that allows me to communicate with you and allows me to stay in touch with my customers and my family and my kids if I'm traveling and so forth. That unstoppable mindset. How do you, I mean, I know that's your program and I know, you know, I'm not asking you to give away the, the farm here by any stretch, but how do you, how do you develop that? And I know that's what you're going to teach, but literally to take that term of the unstoppable mindset, I can do anything is what I hear when I hear unstoppable mindset. A lot of people listening today really feel very stoppable, especially today, six months into this pandemic. I can't, I can't, I can't. Companies are closing, jobs are being lost, people are dying. There's a lot of I can't in this world right now. How do you switch that I can't to I'm unstoppable? Or, you know, Henry Ford, right? That great old quotation, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. right. Yeah. Every great success first started as a creation of a thought in here. So there are three main components. There's there's two other pieces, but the main ones are dealing with thoughts, beliefs, and focus. And I talk about the mindset mechanics and how these all work together and a series of really effective drills to help people become front sight focused on, oh my gosh, every time I say that, I didn't realize it, but I'm actually just preventing myself from moving forward. Thoughts create our reality. Mm -hmm. And until you start owning those, focusing on them very deliberately, you're going to end up getting pretty much more of the same result. And if it's a result you're not liking, then it's your fault. You want to keep getting it? I get, it, I get it's, it's a terrible doing. situation. But you know what? Here's the mindset. Like I get brought in all the time for companies around the world right now, virtually, is Oh, oh, COVID. Oh my God, working from home. I can't talk to people. I can't do this. I'm like, look, see this hand? This is the COVID uncertainty. Hmm. Guess what? There's a law of nature that says for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. See this hand? This is the same amount, but it's an opportunity. It's a different wrapper. You have to look at it differently, but it's there. I promise you it's there. It may require a huge pivot. It may require massive change, but it's there. You just have to have the courage to not stay focused on what you can't do and start thinking about the opportunities of what you can do. So you used a phrase earlier and we've already gone there and I'll, I'll ask a few more questions as we come near the end of our, unfortunately, the end of our time together today. There's this adversity. I'm holding my hand up the way you just did for those that are only listening and not watching. There's this adversity that we call COVID-19 and this adversity could be called anything. Okay, we're using that because that's where we are today. The other hand is the advantage, as you said before. For you, Alden Mills, what's the advantage of this adversity that you personally 
are, are breaking through right now. What are you doing now that you probably wouldn't have even imagined doing six months ago because of the adversity you're in? I was creating this course. Yeah. You know, I was in-demand speaker, top-ranked speaker. I had more speeches than I knew what to do with. And I was like, yeah, someday I'll probably do some. I'll put a course together. It's just a lot of work. And, and I do some high-end executive coaching for CEOs. And between my coaching and my speaking, I, I was plenty busy. And this was like, all of a sudden, I just had 30 speeches evaporate. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting here like, wow, I got a lot of free time in my hands. And the first thing I would ask anytime I get stuck, which was a piece of advice my dad always gave me when he dropped me off for SEAL training, was like, hey, look, when you get stuck, give. Mm -hmm. Just give. Just okay. figure out somebody to serve. And that's what I did. The first week when we got shut down, we had no idea. Was, okay, well, how do I do? What can I do? And one of the things was doing virtual charity speeches for charity groups about my time in the submarine. And I created this How to Thrive Remotely acronym about remote and went on a speaking circuit. And then all of a sudden, Entrepreneur Magazine ranked me as the number one virtual speaker. Wasn't looking for it. It just came out of nowhere, right? And I was like, you know, it really does come down to mindset. People are really getting, they're having a hardest point. It's about mindset. We got to focus on mindset. And then I really went into a lot of deep reflection on how do I make this something that's digestible and actionable that they can use immediately. And that led me to create Unstoppable Mindset, the course. When you get stuck, give. I love that. I um my dad taught me when I was 18 when I graduated from high school and I was getting ready to go to college gave me five points of advice and I won't go into the other four but I, oftentimes somebody says something that takes me into one of those five and the one that stands out to me that's very similar to yours is give value first everything you do give value first give value first it's not what's in it for me the world teaches us what's in this for me but like you said, I mean, your, your life is an example of giving. I mean, you've given your life for us. You're, you've dedicated your life to, to protecting your, to, to covering the back of those around you, covering our back. So again, at least the second or third thank you. I'll say it again now. I'm not done with this interview, but I, I do need to say thank you again. And thank you for what you're doing for teams and for leaders now too, because I'm a uh, a keen observer of people. I love to watch individuals. I love to watch teams. And most importantly, I love to watch companies because that's what I do for a living and work with them. And the amount of people in, in leadership and organizations and those that may be listening today that don't fully get that leading is serving. Ken Blanchard, my very first guest on From the Heart, uh, back on season one, episode one, mm -hmm. serving leadership. A couple of copies of the book sitting behind me on my shelf. It's all about serving. And, I, and you obviously, you don't just get that, you are that. So thank you again for that. You're, you're welcome. Appreciate it. It's my honor. As we start getting close to wrapping up here today, uh, first of all, let me, I, I, I teased earlier and I'll say it again. What's the best way you're out there speaking? You're, you're in there. You're, you're out there you know, figuratively more than anything right now speaking. Best way for our audience to reach you if they want to bring you in to talk to their team or their company or learn more about you is, is how? Oh, just come to my website, alden-mills.com, and there's a way to get a hold of me directly, or at least to my team, and they're very good at getting back. 
I'll put that in our show notes when we post this up. We'll we'll put that website there as well, so anybody that sees it can can see that as well. As you, you know, a phrase I've heard you say before, and you haven't said these words today, I don't think, but I've heard you say it in the past. Um, talk about the words actions and attitude. That phrase, actions and attitude. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what we got. Mm -hmm. right? Those are our controllables. We have very few things we can control. We can control what we look at. We can control what we want to hear. We can control how we feel and what we know. And all of that ends up coming into forming two things. What's our attitude or our mindset? And what's the action we take? And how are we known? We're known really for the attitudes and actions of who we are, right? Ah, uh, Ed is just such a downer. Like he's like Eeyore. Like every time he's like, well, it's sunny right now, but it's going to rain anytime. Rain tomorrow, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't want that guy on my team. I'm just depressed talking to him, right? No, they, that's part one. And then part two is, well, you know, Ed just barely gets his stuff in. And when he does, he gets it just in enough and just does what's required. You got that Eeyore impersonation down, buddy. Right? Yeah. But so actions and attitude define us. Yeah. They define us. And they're both within our control. Yeah. I can't, I can't stomp on that one enough, right? Yeah. I have to do it with my boys all the time. No, you do not get down like that. You decide if you want to mope around or not. But if you're going to do it, you're not allowed to sit at the dining room table. Go. Yeah, you can mope around in your bedroom, but not at the table with the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. Take a reset. Yeah, exactly. So unstoppable mindset is now it's kind of the next, you know, tomorrow type of thing. What's out there? What's on your horizon that you, uh, you know, I see a whiteboard behind you that has the words unstoppable mindset. Yeah. What was on that whiteboard before? What's on that going, the, 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 the um, you know, virtual whiteboard, if you will, that, that's out there for Alden. Well, uh, shortly after unstoppable mindset is unstoppable goals, right? It's great to have a, a great mindset. Now we got to put it to focus. And what are we going to focus on? And by the way, that is a component of unstoppable mindset. I'm pretty much a goal geek. Hmm. I really like understanding things that I'm working on. It's very hard for me to even just go do a workout if I don't have a goal of some sort in mind. Sure. Like what, am I just working out to work out or look, why am I working out? You're talking goal for that workout or goal for what that for a long-term goal or both? A uh, long-term goal. I mean, there's a, there's a component of like, well, it feels good to work out. I just want to work out. But, you know, there's a picture over my shoulder on a mountain and that mountain is Denali that we climbed a year and a half ago. And, oh my God, that was a slog of a mountain to mm -hmm. climb up. But that gave us great training goals, right? That was a year of preparation to do that. I love that kind of thing. Um, so unstoppable goals and then unstoppable energy is another really important element. And people, I think, kind of misinterpret where energy comes from. And I think a lot of people think energy just comes out of a can. Yeah. And that's not the real energy I'm referring to. Hint, 
face involved. Yeah. And you need that kind of energy to propel yourself to do the transformational things we need everybody to step up and do in society. Four teenage boys, a wife that's an angel. You talked about her. How do you want your kids to remember you and talk about you? What's I hate to do the old, you know, we're at your funeral thing because that's so morbid. But what do you want Alden Mills' legacy to be in the eyes of your teenage boys? That I love them unconditionally and believed in them so much when they didn't believe in themselves that they were able to go beyond what they originally thought was possible and create a life of value for others. Excellent. Appreciate that. That's what I'd like that to be. So I have one final question. You already know it's coming and I feel a little bit stupid even asking the question because you just expressed it for the last hour but it is my little brand here for the podcast. So and you know how I'm going to answer it. And I know how you're going to answer so it. Already you did answer it four times on the show minutes. here. Yeah, but uh, well, before I ask the question, is there anything else? I always have that essay question. Oh my God. Right and, I mean, anything that you hoped we'd talk about today that we didn't get to, this is your chance. And I really then want to just ask, Then I'm going to just ask you, Alden Mills, what's in your heart? So I'll ask that now. So you can do your essay and tell us what's in your heart all at the same time, if you'd like. Okay, I'm gonna just tell you what's in my heart. Please, yeah. please, please, everybody out there understand you are way more powerful than you realize. And if you wanna unlock that power, go serve others. Serve without expectation of return and you will be so empowered to go beyond what you thought you could do. But you gotta start by believing in yourself. Find other people that will believe in you. If you're really struggling, Come see me because I'll believe in you. I'll tell you right now, that's where it starts. You got to believe it to achieve it.